Hi, and welcome back to Murder Minded. So I came across a conflicting story online. And I hate to say online because it was on Facebook, so I don't know the validity. Um, that's sort of, there's sort of a debate as to whether or not, like, the story in my last episode is legit. Um, I mean, part of me feels like any publication called Airmail should be looked at with a side eye. Because I don't really think that sounds like a reputable source but um so I'm not 100% sure I think I did the episode of just like emotion and just like pure like being mind blown um but also there's just been and with the Idaho case in particular so much misinformation and I think I feel and I and this is just my own opinion I think a lot of the reason that there was so much misinformation and people being armchair experts and this, this, and this is that I think for a period of time where there were no updates from the police and there was this mindset that there's a, a killer still out there, I think out of a place of like wanting comfort and to lessen fear and anxiety in people and, and in themselves, I think whether or not these stories were anywhere related, because I feel like most of the time the 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 information and the the theories that people came up with are so far from the truth like immensely far like even as much so as there was a professor at the University of Idaho that's suing a TikToker for defamation um but i think people putting out their theories and everything in the period of time prior to the suspect being arrested was as a not to spread misinformation intentionally. I think a lot of it was done to lessen anxiety because I feel like we were all kind of on a, a more of like a heightened level of anxiety and fear and, and tension because it sounded like at the time they had no eyes or anything on a suspect. And so, so all of a sudden everyone in the country is like, shit, could this guy be in my neighborhood next? Um, and I think it was just done as sort of, a way to lessen that um i mean I, I, and everybody becomes an armchair expert when it comes to crime because you know you can consume all the crime content in the world and people i don't put myself into this category but people think they know how it goes so i think just based on like prior episodes or like prior podcasts like people will see like have cases like the idaho homicides come up and they're like oh this 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 boom and then reading into things. But I think a lot of it was fear-driven. And I think that a lot of it was based in wanting to not have this, like, heightened state of anxiety all the time. Because I know I felt it um, very much so. And it's something I'm, I am, like, avidly kind of trying to work on and get rid of. Because, I mean, it, you know, when you're a single woman out just living life, you know, whether or not you're, like, actively serial dating it's there's always the the fear that something can happen and I think it just heightened it because there was a period that there was nothing and they were like we don't know where this dude is we don't know you know well at the time they did but publicly it was like we don't really know but there's no threat in Idaho and it was like well there's 49 other states so but so yeah I think I might kind of put any sort of 
Idaho content on the back burner because it just, there's just so many different stories. And there was a source that came out last week that gave kind of conflicting information about where they found one of the bodies and, you know, and the manner that they died was conflicting with the, what the coroner said and the medical examiner. So it just, it is, there's just a lot. I think that everybody is just trying to figure it out because it's just, it's so senseless and it still doesn't make sense. And, you know, also too, I always have a hard time believing people say sources and there's no name or organization attached because anybody could be a source. I could be a source. So I think when I had heard sources say, and then heard what they said, and then also heard that there was a, like conflicting stories, especially with someone who was a coroner. Obviously, I think that's a little bit cause for concern that it's something that's being reported and it's misinformation that I have seen like wildly spreading. But also with people pointing out and saying, hey, this isn't right. We know the coroner said otherwise. We know that this person's body was not found in the doorway, but found the bed and this, this, this. So, you know, I think it's one of those things that it, I definitely as invested in, as interested in it as I am, I think it might be better to kind of wait until things are more solidified. And I think also too, with the gag order in place, I feel like there's so much that is limited that I think that people kind of want to get stuff out there just to kind of keep a narrative going or just to keep the interest there, which, I mean, there is a very vested and substantial interest in the case. Um, but I think it's harder in the fact that there is a gag order and the, um, the first like hearing isn't until June. So we still have like four months. So I think there's just people trying to put pieces together as their own, you know, armchair experts and, um, it's hard. And it's one of those things that it definitely is, you know, you don't always know what's true and what isn't. And I think that was definitely one of the biggest issues with the 2016 election. And just in the sense that there's all of this misinformation and there's so much that was out there that it was really hard to kind of pin down everything that was information. And now, I mean, obviously it's not the same thing, but it's, it's a lot. I mean, and I think it's different in the fact that you've got four people's lives who have been lost and there's all this information that's coming out left and right. And it's, there's, it's very hard to kind of label stuff as being true or not because it could all be, but I think when you have what was in the affidavit and what the coroner said, I think that there is sort of a foundation and a baseline that you can kind of go off of. And any of these like quote unquote sources you can eliminate. Um, so I think that might just kind of sit on the back burner until there's more solidified information. Um, and I mean, I think stuff can be so sensationalized and, and that's why I kind of jumped at it because I was like, how is that possible? Like, how do you have like local law enforcement agencies and like the FBI lose somebody that is that important that the entire country is like watching 
your department and making sure that they do this right and find somebody to lessen this heightened state of anxiety. So definitely going to keep an eye on it. But at the same time, I think it might be something that until things are like proven true, I'll talk about. Um, because I felt like such an idiot all of a sudden when, <laughs> when I saw something, but then again, I also saw it on Facebook. So I was like, I don't really know if this is, you know, fake news or not. But so I think definitely going forward, I want to like focus on stuff that has confirmed research and backing because, you know, I just, fall would fall into the misinformation category in telling that to other people. So today's stories are actually taken from the DC police's website. There's an entire section about unsolved homicides that go back to the 50s. So there's also separate from the unsolved homicides, there's a section dedicated to open transgender homicides. So unfortunately, the LGBTQ plus homicides don't receive the same attention as the other homicides and black LGBTQ homicides receive even less. 2021 had the most documented transgender homicides on record and 75% of these deaths were black trans women. So I wanted to talk about three of the victims in the DC area. There's five in total that are open. So I think I'm going to do a follow-up episode with the other two victims as well. One of the consistent things I noticed in some of the articles published, based on some of the comments on these articles, with people pointing it out, that these victims had been dead named, which is when a transgender person is called by their birth name when they've actively changed their name as part of their transition. So I'll be referring to these three victims by their chosen names when they transitioned out of respect. My research sources for this episode include The Pink News, NBC Washington 4, HRC's Remembrance page of Jasmine Mack, WashingtonBlade.com, and TransLivesMatter.info. The first victim we're going to talk about is Jasmine Star Mack. She was unfortunately the first trans person who died a violent death this year. She was killed less than a month ago on January 7th. So incredibly soon, like within the first week of the year, which is absolutely awful. She was found on the 2000 block of Gallaudet Street, Northwest, Northeast, I'm sorry, which is in the neighborhood of Ivy City. Jasmine was found at around 3 a.m., stabbed in the thigh, and was pronounced dead at the scene. Jasmine was only 36. There unfortunately were only several articles that spoke about Jasmine as a person and her history, And most other articles are about her death, which is a recurring thing I did actually find with these other victims as well, is that you search their name and 99% of the articles, if not 100%, are about their passing. Jasmine's sister, Pamela Witherspoon, recalled her as boisterous, a little wild, and a talented singer. At six foot five... Jasmine learned how to tailor clothes to fit her statuesque frame, as Pamela described. Jasmine's family was accepting of her being trans from a young age, but unfortunately adulthood held struggles for Jasmine. She struggled with substance addiction, 
and it was discriminated against for being a trans woman. And with these combined, it led to Jasmine not being able to maintain a stable living environment. Pamela had said that Jasmine had been stabbed before. Quote, she'd been shot because of her sexuality. She was abused. People rejected her. She just wanted to be herself. She was a sweet person. She was not mean. And she wanted a chance at life. End quote. The police have not indicated if Jasmine's death is being considered a hate crime, but I unfortunately have a feeling that it will be deemed a hate crime. There's also been no updates in this homicide since the announcements of Jasmine's death, and no person of interest or suspect has been named. The second victim I want to talk about is Tyra Henderson. There are only two pieces of personal information that I came across about Tyra in research online. Prior to her death, she was living in the 1700 block of T Street Northeast, and in 2006, the gender pack had revealed that Tyra was involved with sex work as a means for income. And that's it. That's, that's all the personal information that's out there. Tyra was killed on April 23, 2000, at the age of only 22, in an alleyway on the 3600 block of 11th Street Northwest. Tyra was beaten to death. The police received a call at 2.20 that morning in regards to the sounds of a person moaning where Tyra's body was eventually found. A complaint was later filed against the D.C. police that they took too long to respond to the call. Someone close to Tyra's case did file this complaint with help from the local um, ACLU. That is unfortunately all there is about Tyra, and it's been almost 23 years since her death, and we are no closer to finding out who killed Tyra. The last victim I want to discuss is Alexis Woodland, who was only 24 when she was shot. On December 2nd, 2005, at 1.20 a.m., Alexis was killed in the 2000 block of Savannah Terrace Southeast. Alexis and a friend were leaving a convenience store when two men in a black car approached them. The men in the car demanded money, and one of the men used a handgun to shoot Alexis and her friend. Alexis was shot in the face and stomach, and her friend was wounded, but she did not suffer life-threatening injuries. Alexis, unfortunately, did die after her injuries. I was also not able to find any personal information about Alexis online, other than a few comments on her obituary and information about her family from the same obituary. Alexis had three brothers, Dewan, Clyde Gray, and Raynard, and a sister, Tasha Plater. From the comments on her obituary, Alexis was very into hair and makeup, and that she was sweet, kind, smart, and talented. Alexis is the only case that had a description of a suspect. Thankfully, the police were able to draw a composite sketch with the details that were given. The suspect was described as a black male in his 20s, 5'11 to 6 feet tall, 160 to 170 pounds with a slight mustache and his hair in dreads. If anyone has any information regarding a suspect in any of these deaths, please contact the DC police at 202-727-9099. If you'd like to remain anonymous, you were able to text 50411 with any information you may have. A reward up to $25,000 is offered for those tips that lead to the arrest and conviction of the, peop the person or persons responsible for any homicide that's committed in D.C. Unfortunately, 
the homicides in D.C. have just been steadily rising. Um, I mean, I've been in D.C. since 2019, and I feel like regardless of what neighborhood I've lived in, there's been homicides. And I mean, I could sit here and point out neighborhoods where it's more prevalent, but also anyone who has a gun in any any neighborhood, it can be prevalent. And it just, it's sad because I feel like nothing has been done. I mean, there was, there's been victims that have been as young as 13 that have been killed. And I mean, that's only within the past like two or three months. And it's just, it's, it's sad because it feels like it's, there's the same, the same response, the same, you know, kind of thoughts and prayers, like we need to do something response and nothing is done. And it, it's just, it's sad. I mean, a lot of it does kind of boil down to wrong place, wrong time with some of the victims. But I mean, that's not an, that's not an excuse, but it it is just sad. And the fact that there, it also is kind of a bit unsettling knowing that there are people that are in DC with assault rifles is something that really gives me anxiety and pause. And, you know, unfortunately, big or small cities can have these type of things happen. And I don't think the size of where you live kind of dictates the amount of gun violence, because I think if anyone's pissed at somebody, if anyone owes money, cheated on somebody, and they're going to snap, and they have a gun, it's possible. So I don't think um, the argument about big cities, small cities, and the amount of gun violence is super accurate but it is it is sad and I think the fact that you have I mean multiple the fact that there's an entire um section on the the DC police's website dedicated to unsolved homicide it's just it's sad and I think you know obviously DNA and forensic technology has improved substantially so I think that that can be helpful in these cases, but I mean, it's just, it's hard. And I think that the, the DC police department is like inundated with homicides. Like I feel like something happens every day. Like you go on Twitter citizen, like there's just, there's always updates. Like there's, and it's just, it's, it's scary. Um, And I think it's also something we've become kind of numb to in the sense um of how we, we are when it comes to school shootings, because it happens so often that you don't have the same reaction, like how it's c- compared to how we reacted with Columbine and Sandy Hook compared to Uvalde or something more recent, it's not the same. Um, because we unfortunately kind of, we know the spiel, we know, what people are going to say and the substantial the the substantive lack of action after which is it it's the same thing it's the same song and dance every time and it's frustrating because it's something that will continue to happen and it it's it's also just frustrating that the conversation about banning assault rifles and um you know similar sort of legislation when it comes to guns only comes up and is prevalent after something happens it's never a proactive thing um and it always just seems to be afterward and then the conversation kind of dies for a little while and then there's another shooting and the whole thing it's just the whole cycle it's just it's it's sad that there's 
people that have to keep dying for something to happen. And it's just, it's frustrating as a citizen to kind of see that there hasn't been any substantive, substantial action. Um, because, you know, the, the words don't match the actions. And I think there's such a clear divide on where the parties stand in regards to assault weapons. And it's sad. I mean, I personally, and I don't want to get too into it, but I personally don't think that a citizen should have a type of weapon that is used in war as a civilian. I just, that doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't understand how people are able to get a hold of them. I really don't know much about guns, but I think the fact that people are able to get a hold of a weapon used for war to use for personal use is very concerning. Um, I mean, I understand the whole arrogance about the Second Amendment, but like, there was no AK-47s when the Constitution was written, and when 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 everyone's rights were written. So, you know, it's always the same kind the, the conversation that never fully progresses, and it it's unfortunate that people have to keep dying at the hands of awful people in order for something to change. But I digress. Um, thank you again for tuning in. And until then, until my next episode, episode, stay murder-minded. And I promise also going forward that we'll have less episodes about criminals named Brian. Um, which it's wild because in the past two weeks, I've been, I've watched an episode of, uh, 48 hours and listened to an episode of Dateline and both of the criminals were named Brian. And these were not, this was not Brian Walsh or like Brian Coworker, but it was weird. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know for some reason if there's any ties or why there's multiple people named Brian that commit criminal, commit crimes, but yeah, we'll be laying off the, the, the Brian's for a while. So next episode, I am going to finish out the open and unsolved transgender homicides in DC. But thank you again. I know this was a little long and kind of rambly, but it was needed. So thanks again. And I'll see you next time.